and welcome back to another episode of The Bookstop. I'm your host, Jen, and I'm very excited to talk about today's episode. But before we begin, there will be spoilers as we talk about major events that unfold within the story. In addition, each episode will have a list of trigger warnings in the description. Be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at The Bookstop Podcast and show your support on Patreon for early access to episodes and other additional content. And welcome back to another episode of The Bookstop. And today on this spooky season, we have Patrick back. Hello. <laughs> with uh, another spooky book. What book did you bring and why'd you bring it? Salem's Lot by Stephen King. I brought it because I feel like it is a very run-of-the-mill kind of vampire monster story that is such appropriate for the Halloween season. You can't go wrong with a classic monster tale. Absolutely. Before we even get into it, we're going to play a game. Okay. You are going to summarize this book in 30 seconds. I would summarize it as author comes home to his childhood hometown to finish a book that he's writing on and to take care of some childhood trauma in the process. He comes upon the town dilapidated for unknown reasons. As things come into light, he realizes that the town is overrun by a vampire. Yeah, great job. I'm going to summarize it just for anybody who hasn't heard of the story. Give a little bit more background. Salem's Lot is the story of a small town in Maine being overtaken by vampires and a brave band of people who come together to fight an ancient evil. Events center around Ben Mears, a moderately successful writer who has returned to the lot in order to write a book based on his earlier years. He also hopes to drive out the terror that has haunted him since childhood. But as soon as he arrives, a child disappears and then a dog is brutally killed. And as the list of gruesome events begin to grow, he realizes that something even more sinister lives here, and they must defeat this evil before it swallows the lot whole. Yeah, this book was definitely different than I thought. This one was written in 1975. It's his second published book. I haven't read any other thing besides Pet Cemetery, which we did last year. Yeah. I've heard that he kind of has a lot of reoccurring themes, and this is kind of like the start of it all. With an author being a main character is a common theme with Stephen King and stuff. So it's cool to kind of see where it all started and then how it progresses. Yeah. So before we get started, we're going to do our favorite quotes. From this book, what would you say is one of your favorite quotes? Or if you have many. I have two favorite quotes. Okay. I have a short one and a long one. My One of my favorite quotes is, The basis of all human fears, he thought. Closed door, slightly ajar. Mm -hmm. I really like that quote because it really just sums up the fear of the unknown in Mm -hmm. this book. For a lot of the story, Ben Mears doesn't know what the evil is. And I feel like this quote kind of really encapsulates that feeling. It's always on the other side and you can get just like the shadows under the line or maybe like the the creepy hand coming through the the crack, but you never really see the full thing. So my quote is, these are the town's secrets and some will later be known and some will never be known. The town keeps them with the ultimate poker face. The town cares for devil's work no more than it cares for God's or man's. It knew darkness, and darkness was enough. Ooh, <laughs> eerie. I like it. It's kind of a, the story as a whole, as uh, we're going to talk about later, but there's a whole section where it's just the lot. And I like that it's kind of giving the hint that maybe there's even more evil here that we don't know. Yeah. A good callback to be able to come back to this story and uncover more secrets but yeah i really liked that i thought it was kind of eerie and i loved how the town itself was kind of a character that's definitely one of my favorite parts of the book is how stephen king just writes about the town itself Mm -hmm. those chapters are my favorite i would say 
Yes, me too. Another favorite quote that I have is, but when fall comes, kicking summer out on its treacherous ass, it always does one day sometime after the midpoint of September. It stays a while like an old friend that you have missed. It settles in the way an old friend will settle into your favorite chair, take out his pipe and light it, and then fill the afternoon with stories of places he has been and things he has done since he last saw you. I just love like the prosaic kind of writing in that. Yeah, I just like that quote. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of good quotes in here and some kind of falter a little bit because some of them could get a little wordy in a sense. Sure, yeah. I think there's a lot of really good hidden quotes in here. It doesn't necessarily have to be about the evil. It could be the scenery that he portrays in this. It's just love the way that he describes this town so much. Yeah. What are some things that you liked about this book? I love the slow burn and the buildup that it has toward the whole end climax of the vampire attack. I love the descriptions that Stephen King gives of the town and of mm-hmm. characters and of scenery. And I really like how like simple the book is. Mm-hmm. Simple is a, a good way to, to describe yeah. it. Yeah, I really love the scenery. Very fall, which is like perfect for October. The atmosphere itself was nice. It was like eerie, but also kind of weirdly relaxing because you're kind of just strolling through this town yeah small town vibes i really like it i also really enjoyed the lot scenes those are my favorite scenes throughout the whole book where we were kind of floating bird's eye view over this town and you see different stories for everybody that lived there and you get to know secrets the town knows i also really liked the epilogue where we kind of circled back to the beginning of the book how the news articles were in there And how it kind of like ties everything together and kind of gives like a little hint that there could have been a sequel. I know that they did like a little bit of a sequel in the Dark Tower series. The return of Father Callahan. He's like a recurring character throughout the Stephen King. I definitely think this is a book that could have had a, a second book installment into it to kind of flesh out the last of that. But... I also kind of like it where it's left open to interpretation. Really, it liked the reveal of the vampires later and like the real reveal of everything, the slow burn, as you would call it. And I just like the vampires itself. Stick to the the book sense of it all. They're not Twilight or anything. They have like a very generic, you know what to expect. Very like reminiscent of Bram Stoker's Dracula vampires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There isn't a sequel, but there is a kind of prequel. It's a oh, short yeah. story called Jerusalem's Lot that kind of goes into the beginning of the town. Ooh, yes. I remember, I remember you mentioning that. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, definitely check that out. Um, so what are some things that you didn't like about this book? Like I said, I do love the slow burn and build up toward the vampire. I don't like how quick it all happens at once. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish the book were a little longer so they could draw it out a little bit more in the sense of introducing the actual vampire in mm-hmm. a sense where it kind of just happens all at once. I wish it kind of happened gradually. Yeah, it matches the slow burn with the mm-hmm. rest of the book. Mm-hmm. It does happen very fast, especially like right after Susan dies. It kind of is like, bam, right in your face and it's gone. I was like, whoa, we're already here already? Let's slow down. I forgot where we were 10 minutes ago. Yeah. So I have a few things. The ending was very underwhelming. It was just so fast. And did they kill the vampire in the end or was it? I'd like to think they did. Yeah, I think they actually got him. But yeah, it was just so fast. And the names are also a bit confusing because they were all like the same white man's name. (laughs) Mark, Matt, Ben. Ben. And I'm like, Mark and Matt was the hardest one for me. I kept thinking of the same people and they're completely opposite people. So the names are a bit confusing there. I was listening to an audiobook, so that might have been why it was a little confusing. Yeah. 
I think there was too much talking about things that didn't really matter in the long run. Not necessarily like setting up the atmosphere or anything, but just giving random pieces of information about things and then in the end it didn't really matter. And like there's a line when you're going to cross if you're like trying to give information for the characters and the world or whatever it is. Yeah. And then there's just talking because you're trying to meet a, meet a word limit. And then the last thing is I didn't love how he was kind of speaking about the women in the story. Very much like dulled them down to very mediocre characters. I definitely agree that the way that women are handled in this book are not it's not great. I think the only main character was Susan and she got murked. So <laughs> yeah, I didn't love that but i know that's kind of a common theme with stephen king's books um it's also written in the 1970s exactly yeah i'm not shocked to say the least but i don't think it dulls down the book too much so we kind of talking about his writing style a little bit but i want to go into more of him as being an author so stephen king's written hundreds of books at least yeah and he is the type of author that doesn't pull any stops like he just goes and doesn't really know boundaries. And in turn, I respect that, but it never ages well <laughs> with his writing. Such an uh, impactful, I guess, author. A lot of people wrote him and or read him, and he's kind of like the pinnacle of horror, some people would say. With that, you have to take reading an older book with like a grain of salt and mm-hmm. realize that it's written from a different perspective and a different time. Thoughts and opinions can change. So if you read some of his earlier work, there's not much things that could age badly, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I get that. Every author can have a progression of their style. It's hard because I'm sure the writing that we have nowadays in a few years, decade or so, it's also not going to age well. It's like what you said, the, the style that people write it changes over the years, so it might not get perceived as well as it did then. And I'm sure there were circles that didn't perceive it well then mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for just sure. didn't have a lot of the voice. Yeah. And I, I really liked the inspiration. So I read Haunting of Hill House. I opened the book and that was the first like page, was the first page of Haunting of Hill House. Looked at the cover and I was like, hold on, am I reading the book again? So you really see that with the uh, Marston House, which was another thing I really liked how the Marston house was always just peeking in the background. Yeah. He had made mention multiple times in multiple different places that the Marston house was always within view from where they were, and it was always just mentioned. And I know this is a core of Ben's childhood trauma, <laughs> which we won't get too much into, but it's very interesting that this was kind of the, the, the pinpoint for the story. The end of the story, it happened in that house, right? Or Yeah. Yeah, and it started and ended with this house. So I loved how we kind of circled back to it. I could sense the inspiration for it with the way that he described the house. Definitely. I like the house as a character itself, too. Mm-hmm. It kind of gives this ancient feeling that kind of mirrors with, like, the vampires of the story. It's something that's always been there, something that has an institution and, like, roots there that won't go. Yeah, Ben kind of facing his fears, going to this house, trying to figure out why it has such a hold on him. With him being an adult, he still fears this house as much as he did when he was a child. Yeah. Which is another kind of theme throughout is that the progression of fear from children to adults, it doesn't necessarily equal to maturity. Some people still get as fearful as a child, but some children can just take that fear and run with it. It does shape them as people as they grow up. It does interfere. I think if the things that didn't happen to Ben as they did as a child... Don't think he would have been able to conquer what he does at the end of this book. Yes. Mark is 
I forget, but a child in this book. Yeah. That's another thing I didn't love, is that I forgot he was a child. He was 12, 14. Around that age. 12 and 14. And I think he was just built a little too old. He was just hanging out with all these adults, and I kind of just forgot he was a kid. Plus, we see that little, like, glimpse into the future with him growing up and probably going to become, like, a vampire hunter or something. Um, which would have been so cool. A sequel with him being a vampire hunter. I think with the progression of, of fear that Mark will eventually kind of learn to almost embrace it. Because he kind of dealt with fears that were supernatural. Yeah. So it's going to affect him in a different way. And I'm just, I'm just, I really want to know how it does. I think a second book about Mark would be perfect. It's a little late now. It's you not, it's not it. that late. <laughs> Stephen King wrote a sequel to The Shining in like 2000. Or really? So, who would you say in this one is your favorite character? I think Mark is my favorite character. <laughs> I know he's kind of written as an adult, but I do like his character as this, like, essentially the most brave character out of anybody in the book. Mm-hmm. There's all these adults and incompetent adults that aren't succeeding. Like, Father Callahan doesn't succeed in that one scene mm-hmm. where they're trying to get rid of the vampire and. He freezes with fear, and Mark does not. I just like the character. I wouldn't say doesn't have fear, but has the strength to overcome it. Yes. Which is crazy, because he is the youngest. But I feel like children's imagination is just so strong that maybe he's kind of playing into that. Yeah. And thinking, you know, maybe this is not real, and I'm just imagining it. Or whatever he does to kind of get through it. Yeah, he's absolutely a vital character in this. Which, I was kind of sad that he didn't come into, like, much later in the story. I wish... We would have saw a POV of Mark a little bit since he was so important to the story in the end. There was that scene with him and the bully of him overcoming true. that, which kind of yeah. sets up his role as an overcomer. Yeah, that's true. I forgot. It's so short. I wish it was more, though. I said that my favorite was Matt. He wanted to help people. I, I really liked his teacher vibes. We love a scholar. He had a lot of connections to the town. He knew a lot of people. His uh, scene where he was helping Mike, who turned out to be the first vampire that we really encounter. I think Matt and Mark could have had like a scene together where we kind of just barely glimpsed them interacting. Yeah. But maybe they go to different schools, you know. So, yeah, I really liked Matt. Sad for his ending, but had to happen, I guess. Yeah. A lot of characters died. Now that I'm thinking about it, a lot of characters died. Yeah, a lot of them did. Whether that be turning into a vampire or just straight up dying. But again, I think that's kind of cool, though, where we get that kind of sacrifice, I guess, because a lot of authors cling to their characters and don't want to that sacrifice. Like if you were pulling from Twilight again, Stephanie Myers was like, I don't want to kill off my characters because what if I want to revisit them? And Stephen King's like, no, I'll get rid of them. I don't want to have to revisit again. Because then, you know, just make new characters. Yeah, so I want to take a second here to shout out the Patreon subscribers. So thank you to Nick W, Ashley A, Bree P, and Lulu. I appreciate your guys' support. It means a lot to me. Doing this is just, you know, something for fun. And I'm glad that at least at least four people are listening. If you guys want to be part of the Patreon shout-out, head over to Patreon and subscribe today. Next thing we talk about, okay, so horror books in general, do you find them spooky? Uh, a little scary? I wouldn't say scary. I would say spooky in, in the sense of they give me this small adrenaline rush of feeling of suspense when I'm reading them. I'm not one to, like, lock it away when when it's too scary. I just love the feeling of, like, slight suspense. I feel like in a horror book, it's not really science fiction. It's not really fantasy. 
It's fiction that really doesn't have Goonie rules. I'm not really into horror. This is kind of like my first really step into something that was kind of a little spooky. And I read Haunted of Hill House, and that was proclaimed to be the like scariest book in its generation. I think it was the, the terminology. I had said that I don't really understand the perspective of horror books being scary. Like I understand disturbing and gory, but I didn't really understand understand how a book can be scary. Like visuals, like movies and TV shows. Yeah. Obviously, you got the music, you got the visuals, like everything there, and you kind of make it up in your head that it's a little bit scary. But in books, where it's just like you and your thoughts, I don't know. I just don't see it. Thoughts can be scary. That's true. I guess it's just, it's depending on the person. Depending on the person and depending on the book. Yeah. What scene do you think was kind of the spookiest for you? That's a good question. I wouldn't say there's a particular scene that I think is the spookiest. I feel like the build-up toward Mm -hmm. what you don't know Mm -hmm. is the spookiest thing for me. And the scenes within the house when they're trying to kill the vampire, I Mm -hmm. feel like, are very scary. At that one end where Mark and Ben are in the basement and they're, well, let's move that dresser or Mm -hmm. whatever furniture it was and they move it and then there's a hole in the wall i feel like those scenes are the scariest building up to something that you don't know what it is yet when it culminates in that one mighty fight with the vampire i feel like those are the scariest absolutely i agree like the build-up itself in the beginning i feel like you kind of have that suspense because you know it's a horror book and you're just finding every little detail where it gives off like this is what's gonna happen yes it does kind of go a little too far where you kind of lose yourself and you're like, oh, it's not even scary. And then it kind of picks up again. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. The unknown, because we didn't really know anything about it, anything, really. Kind of just thrown in. Yeah. I think the spookiest scene for me was when Danny was knocking on the window mm. and he was like, let me in, let me in. Yeah, that, that scene was a bit creepy. I also think one of the scariest scenes is in the junkyard when we first see Straker. And he mm. appears behind Dud Rogers in the dump when he's killing rats, I feel, is very spooky. It's very ominous. Yeah. It's kind of what gives a little foretelling almost, where all of these rats are dying and then Straker is just standing behind someone that is killing them. A nod to him being the mastermind behind all the vampires a little bit. So who would you say in this one is your favorite relationship? I really like the relationship between Ben and Matt. Yes. I love... When Ben comes into town, he really isn't connecting with anyone on a pure friendship level. I mean, he meets Susan in the park, and they Mm -hmm. develop a romantic relationship. But his first platonic, almost understanding relationship that he has is with Matt. And it's so interesting how they like just click so well from being from such different walks of life. Very much a father-son kind of relationship. And they were the first ones to kind of fall into Barlow's trap. And they only had each other to kind of listen to. And, like, obviously Susan was there, but she had her own thing. Um, I said my favorite was Ben and Mark. Just because they're connected. Like, the way they're connected is just so tragic. Yeah. They're just connected by the trauma and tragedy that happened in here. And we get a little bit of a glimpse of them in the beginning of the book. And then we see them towards the end together. I think they're going to develop the same relationship that Ben and Matt had almost. Where he's kind of, like leading him and again i think another book would be awesome where ben has to kind of like pull him back and be like no this isn't you like you can't be consumed by this like i'm gonna have to start writing this book (laughs) (laughs) steven i know you're listening yeah i really like their their relationship which there's not a ton with them but i think ben is gonna end up being that like father figure for him well he's gonna need it both his parents oh true (laughs) uh yeah they're gone. Everyone that Ben's connected to is gone too, so they only got each other. 
And yeah, so we haven't really talked about Barlow and Strider and the vampires and stuff. What were your first impressions? Did you know going into the book that it was about vampires or did you kind of figure it out along the way? I knew going into the book that it was about vampires. Okay. I think it was kind of interesting. I really enjoyed the mastermind of Barlow. And, like, we get to see his web where we don't really see him a ton. Yeah. It's just all these people that are kind of infesting the lot itself where we kind of see his objectives through that. But, yeah, I really enjoyed the, the vampire aspect of it. I think it was really thought out. And, obviously, he pulls a lot of inspiration from other works uh dracula being a big one yeah i really wish there was a little bit more from the vampire's perspective i know we did get that one scene where the man and woman were like kind of becoming like the woman was becoming a vampire and they like missed it through the wall or whatever i definitely wish there was a little bit more perspective on that side i was fascinated by striker slash barlow barlow's the vampire barlow's the vampire yeah. and striker's like the familiar yeah i like a classic vampire and i feel like this handles that well it's very like yeah. dracula vampires mm-hmm. very like by the book vampire and i like that that it didn't really take any like liberties with that monster and didn't add anything like Oh, here's a new thing that vampires do. <laughs> Sparkle. <laughs> Sparkle, sure. <laughs> if you know about vampires, you know how to stop them. But it was kind of cool because I also learned a lot about vampires that I didn't know a lot about. Mm. So speaking of learning about vampires, want to play a little game? Yes. So I have a game where we are going to discuss some, I guess you'd call them stereotypes of vampires. There's a lot of classic. There's a lot of classic uh, stereotypes for vampires. But the book doesn't use all of them. I'm just going to give you a stereotype and you just tell me if it's in the book or if it's not in the book. Okay. No cheating. So we'll start with the classic, Drinks Blood. It is in the book. It is. I don't think it was heavily like sought after, I guess. I think it, they were more focused on turning people than really like thirsty. So. Right. Sparkle. No. <laughs> uh, you know, that would have changed the whole perspective of this book, I think. Cannot enter unless invited. Yes. Yes. Pale, sickly skin. No. No. Cross used as protection. Yes. That was a funny scene where, was it Ben to, to Susan where I was like, do you have a cross? And she's like, no. Mm-hmm. And then she had to go get one from someone else. Sleeps in coffins. Yes. Yes. I was surprised. Very surprised I put that one in. Hmm. But it makes sense. Casts no reflections in mirrors. I don't think that one's in there. It is, Yeah. Uh, that's what that the scene where the woman and the man were misting through the door. Oh, she turned to look in the mirror and, and made right. a comment of not seeing her reflection. Can read minds. No. I don't think there was any kind of super power going on with them. There's like the vampire's seduction where they can like kind of control minds, I guess. If that's you like true. look them in the eye. Cannot enter holy grounds. No. That one is in the books. That's with Father Callahan. Mm. Which was really sad, where he couldn't, like, go back into the church that he worked in, owned, I don't know, and after he was forced to turn into a vampire, and then he just kind of got on a bus and dipped. He was like, bye, do so. See you in the Dark Tower in a few <laughs> books. Can turn into bats. No. Again. Would have been so funny. <laughs> would have been really funny. Vulnerable to sunlight. Yes. Immortal. Yes. And superhuman speed. No. Where's that one from? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Listen, I might have pulled a lot of those from Twilight. Because that's not your typical vampire book. 
Yay! I think you got like 80%. I don't, I don't know. I didn't keep score, sorry. Okay. I have to ask you, what are some things that you would do differently if you were writing this book in your own words? Just your own opinions, anything that you would have changed done differently? I would have made it a little bit longer, drawn out the vampire scenes a little bit more, taken them all out together and have it a story just about the town and a falling apart town. Yeah, I think that would have been very interesting as well. True. You know what would be cool if like Ben came back, was losing his mind, and he just started killing everyone in town? That'd be wild. That'd be wild. I, I just said that I wish there was more perspective of the vampire history on that too. I think that was one thing that was kind of lacking was that we didn't really get to see maybe like an origin story. Because this guy is like, what, thousands of years old? Yeah. I think Barlow being the antagonist of the story, we don't really see a ton of him. Which I understand that they're using the web to kind of block all of that. But I wish there was more emphasis on it. Much more history on vampires. Because I get that it's a new thing. They don't really understand it. Again, perspective from the vampires um, in the lot, we could have saw a perspective from Barlow where we see maybe a flashback. Anything like that to kind of give more perspective on Hmm. understanding the vampires would be kind of cool. And maybe a little bit more character development. Characters felt very flat. Yeah. Going from this book, which was written very early by Stephen King, and then going to Pet Cemetery, which was written later in his writing, Mm -hmm. which do you find any like common themes or progressions um, I will say I liked Pet Cemetery more. I think that one was really well written and it was gory just enough. Um, and the ending was much more suspenseful. For connections, I I guess the uh, main characters. When I was with Ben, I felt a little bit of a main character. Lou. Lou, yeah. But yeah, I, I personally liked Pet Cemetery more. It just felt more human. I think that's kind of what draws that in is because... We see more of human action than like supernatural action. Yeah. But this one was, I think this one was a good first like dip your toe into vampires because the only vampire history I really got is Twilight. And <laughs> well, we all know about that. <laughs> so, but yeah, it was kind of cool to, to, to try something new from him. Oh, I like Pet Cemetery more. Yeah, d- yeah, definitely check out that podcast. I'll link it at the bottom. That one was fun. I really enjoyed that book. We are drawing to a close on our little discussion. But before we go, we're going to do one last thing. And we are going to do the rating scale. But we do it a little bit different here on the bookstop. We make up our own. I would give Salem's Lot by Stephen King two vampires setting up shop in a small town out of four. Loved the atmosphere. I think he did a- an amazing job on that. I love the Marston House. Just a little bit lacking on some history aspects that I would have liked to see more of. And again, the characters, they felt very flat, but I think there was a lot of potential there that you could have dipped into a little bit more. But I think he put more emphasis on the lot characters, which was kind of weird. All the characters in the lot than really like Ben and like the main characters. So I would just like to see that a little bit more. I would rate it three drunk priests up of five. <laughs> Obviously, the book's characters were a little underdeveloped, of course, but I feel like mm-hmm. the overdeveloped setting, not in a negative way, makes up for that. Just how you feel like you are in the town when you're reading that book and you're like yes. a part of it. Yeah, you definitely feel like you've been just like placed in one of the homes there. Yeah. Which I really enjoyed. Thank you so much for coming on to the book stop. I really appreciate you taking the time and enjoying the spooky season with some spooky books. Thank you for having me. We have a 
episode scheduled next year, I believe. So Okay, yeah. It yeah. won't be Stephen King. <laughs> or spooky. <laughs> oh, that's sad. That's okay. Yeah, if you guys want to see Patrick on sooner, interact with this episode. Like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for turning the pages with us today. If you've enjoyed this episode, show your support by leaving a review, sharing the episode, and following the podcast on Instagram at thebookstoppodcast. Join us on Patreon for early access to episodes and other additional content. Thank you for listening, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Hope you are too.